morning, church. It's beautiful to be here together as the people of God. You know, one of the things that we love so much about expositional preaching, preaching our way through passages of Scripture, is that you never know what topic we're going to land on on any given morning. And this week, in God's kindness, we are spending another week looking at the topic of giving. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. I'm going to read from verses 22 to 34. It's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 22. This is the word of God, church. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you this morning for the beautiful message of grace. That each and every day we find assurance of the future in you because of the finished work of our Lord Jesus through faith in him and him alone. And yet, Lord, I'm mindful this morning we come to a difficult topic. A topic that for many of us 
is very close to home and is a real and genuine wrestle. And so we want to invite you as your people this morning, Lord God, come Holy Spirit, speak to us through the preaching of your word and change us that we might love you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, it's widely recognized that we live in an increasingly anxious age. You know, part of the fruit of the pandemic has been that, especially for young people, anxiety has been heightened. You know, there's a Monash University study of more than 5,000 18 to 24 year olds during the pandemic. Now, those more than 5,000 people surveyed, 63% reported symptoms of anxiety and depression attributed to the pandemic. 25% of the people surveyed had increased their substance abuse, including alcohol, marijuana, and prescription drugs to cope with their emotions. In many ways, we've never been more connected than we are at the moment by technology and the internet. But the downside of it is we've never been more connected to the terrible events in the world. We've developed this kind of digital nervous system linking us to every terrible tragedy in the world. Just turn on your phone and watch update after update on Ukraine or COVID. We acutely feel things that a previous generation wouldn't have even been aware of. The feeling is, as a culture, that we're headed from crisis to crisis, from tragedy to tragedy. More than that, we're more isolated than ever. We're connected digitally, but increasingly struggle with social interaction. You know, across the whole of the Western world, both birth birth rates and the amount of sex people are having is declining rapidly. And the reason is that people are having less and less social interaction. Plus, with the rise in secular culture and the decline in faith in God, there's an increase in reported anxiety about the uncertainties of the future. Well, the question you might be sitting there and thinking about this morning was, how is all of this relevant to our topic this morning? We see one of the fruits of feeling fearful about the future is hoarding. Clinging to possessions. Truth is, we've all witnessed this on a grand scale over the past two years and need little convincing of the truth of this statement. This truth can be demonstrated with two simple words. Panic buying. I remember walking into Audi in March 2020 and it looked like something out of a film. I walked in and the shelves were completely empty. No meat. No rice, no pasta, no flour, no randomly canned goods, no hand sanitizer, no disinfectant wipes. And I remember the suspicion you treated other shoppers with as you jostled to try and survey the aisle first. We're going to tell our grandkids that we lived through a time when a pack of toilet paper would have been a welcome birthday present. And before you laugh... Who amongst us didn't actually themselves sneak an extra pack of toilet paper or a bag of rice or a cheeky little extra rat test? Why do we do this? Was there a decrease in the supply of products during COVID at the grocery store? Well, no. 
Were people simply eating huge volumes more than usual? No. Were people going to the toilet way more than usual? No. People were simply afraid. Afraid of the future. And as a result, en masse, began to hoard. You see, in our passage this week, the Lord Jesus is out to address a similar tendency in his disciples. Their tendency to cling to possessions as a result of fear. If you're taking notes this morning, I've entitled this message, Fearless Generosity. And I've got two simple points that come from the text. Uh, They are three reasons not to fear being generous. And the path of fearless generosity. But one hope for us this morning, and that is simply this, that we would follow the Lord Jesus on the path of fearless generosity. Well, let's dive into the passage this morning, friends, with point number one, three reasons not to fear being generous. Well, last week we saw Jesus pause to address the crowd that had gathered to him Uh, to hear him speak. And a man requests his intervention in a financial dispute. And Jesus pauses to warn the crowd about the dangers of greed. And he tells a parable about a man who hoards his possessions rather than using them for God's purposes. And then suddenly loses his life and it's all wasted. But greed, that is, a desire to accumulate more and more for oneself, is not only the reason why a person can stop being generous. There's another side to the coin. There's a flip side, a reason we can struggle with being stingy, with a hoarding heart, is is not just a love of possessions and accumulating more and more, but also fear. We can fail to give generously because we're afraid. Will we have enough? Will we have enough for kids' tuition, for the mortgage, for a deposit, for renovations, for going out with school friends, for dating that girl, for buying that phone, for having enough for medical bills, for the future? And because of our fears, we hang onto, we cling onto what we have. And Jesus, having warned the crowd about the dangers of accumulating wealth for themselves and not being generous towards God, is out to help them see that they do not need to be afraid of radical giving. See, it's easy to see how you could be hugely convicted to give your money, to give your time, to give your talent to Jesus, and you're just about to do it when you stop and start to question. And the fears begin to arise. And so Jesus wants to address us with three reasons why we don't need to fear. And the first is simply this, that we are precious. Read with me the very beginning of our passage, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore... He says, therefore, you see, our passage is meant to logically follow from the parable of the greedy man who hoarded and was not generous to God and others. Therefore, in light of his example and what it teaches us, says Jesus, let's read on. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. In light of the example of the greedy man who wasted his life, said Jesus, don't be anxious about your life or food or your body or clothes. Well, hold on. Wait a second. Wait a second, Jesus. Don't be anxious. Is is Jesus saying it's wrong to feel any sort of anxiety? Should we all simply live carefree lives? No. Clearly, there are some aspects of anxiety that are part of living in a fallen and broken world. Consider what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. See, the Apostle Paul felt a daily anxiety, a daily concern for all the churches he had planted around the world. Jesus is here, he's not talking about normal levels of concern, but excessive concern. In particular, concern that ignores the realities of God's power and God's presence. James Edwards, in his commentary, talking about the word for anxiety, says the word for anxiety does not refer to forethought and planning about such things, but rather to undue concern about them, which results in apprehensiveness and anxiety. See, Jesus is not talking about having a carefree life with no concerns at all. He's addressing a particular kind of fear, a fear that ignores God's power and presence that paralyzes generosity and leads to hoarding and holding on to one's possessions. See, Jesus wants to redirect his disciples' gaze towards God's presence and care for them. And to do so, he wants to teach them a few lessons from nature itself. Read with me verse 24. Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus' selection of ravens here is deliberate. You know, in Jewish ceremonial law, they are unclean. They are scavengers who search for anything they can find. And Jesus says they don't farm, they don't sow and reap grain, and they don't build storehouses or barns to supply them in tough seasons, but God looks after them. So you notice Jesus is not advocating stopping work to simply trust God for food. The Bible condemns that. You know, Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3 says, those who won't work shouldn't eat. Plus, when you think about it, not even ravens do that. They don't sit in their nests with their beaks open, waiting for worms to fall from the sky. No, they're scavengers. They scavenge. But they go about their scavenging without worry or fear because God takes care of them, says Jesus. Jesus' point is this. If God even looks after unclean scavengers like ravens, will he not take care of the needs of his disciples? Verse 24. Of how much more value are you than birds? You know, being a human being is to be precious to God. It's to be different from all the animals in this world. The Bible says that God made people in his very image. He made them unique and he made them precious. And some aspect of every person reflects God. We have his nature imprinted upon us. There are aspects of each and every one of us that are like him in some way and therefore are precious. 
But Jesus isn't just addressing anyone here. He's not addressing the crowds in general, but his disciples in particular. See, the truth is that God loves all people with a greater love than anything else in his whole creation, but he has a particular love for his disciples. John 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You know, there have been many great kings in the history of the world, but none compare with Jesus. God, who became fully man for us, our maker, who became one of us. The kings of this world rule from palaces, and they order troops and direct wars. But he came in relative obscurity, born in poverty. Why? To die for his friends. Would I be willing to die for a friend? I've been thinking about this this week. Some of my friends, maybe. Would I be willing to die for an enemy? We were all his enemies. We didn't know God, but even though we rejected him, he decided to come and make us his friends. That is the kind of love the Lord has for his disciples. The question I've been thinking about this week is, what kind of radical generosity would I have, would we have, if we truly believe God loves us as much as Jesus says? You know, just thinking back to the pandemic and our neighbors, unfortunately, um, the wife of our neighbor happened to be in a hairdressing salon in Taramara just before Christmas at the time there was a COVID case in that hairdressing salon. They had go into two weeks of isolation over Christmas and New Year's. And uh, we were trying to put a gift pack together for them. And uh, it's such a silly thing in hindsight now, but we were trying to include them. Like, what should we put in there? They can't get out. They've got no family here. We're like, we'll give them a toilet paper roll. And I felt the pain of that in that moment. I was like, ah, oh, I don't know if I can include this part of our secret stash that we've got together. I just don't know. And it's such a silly thing. You know, talking to my clients in the 40s and 50s in Australia, you might not realize that toilet paper didn't even exist. People cut up newspaper and stuff. We didn't even have it. You can survive without toilet paper. You know, what was the reality of my struggle in that moment to be generous to a neighbor in need? I was struggling to believe God would provide for me. And it's so similar when it comes to our giving. We arm and we are and we think and we worry because we forget how precious we are. You see, we can be fearlessly generous because we are precious to God. That's Jesus' first point, but not just that. He wants us to see that not only can we be fearlessly generous because we're precious, but we can be fearlessly generous because we're not in control. It seems a little counterintuitive to say that not being in control is a reason to be fearless in generosity. But the truth is, so much of our anxiety is based on an illusion that we can be and ought to be in control. I mean, what was the heart of the greedy man's error in building bigger barns for his surplus? He thought he could control his future and set himself up for life. And Jesus says he didn't realize his life was just about to end. He was foolish. His possessions will be stripped from him. Verse 25 and 26, Jesus puts it this way. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? 
Jesus says to his disciples, anxiously worrying about having enough is a complete waste of time. It doesn't achieve anything. We have no control over the length of our lives. We can't add a single hour. You know, the average Aussie will live to about 80 years of age. That's 700,000 hours I figured out this week. You can't even add one 700,000th to your life. Jesus says, if you have no power to do something that small, why worry about all the rest of the details of your life? They are equally out of your control. You know, if you're like me and you found yourself constantly checking the news about Ukraine this week, I've just been thinking this week, why do I do that? Why do we do that? And I think a big part of it is, yeah, we care about their plight, but we're anxious about their situation. The constant updates, they kind of give you this kind of sense of understanding, a sense of control, a sense of that you know what's happening. But it's an illusion. We have absolutely no control over the world or the details of our lives. But when we realize that our lives are, yes, out of control, but God is completely in control, we can be fearless. And we can be fearless in being generous. The third thing Jesus wants his disciples to see is not just that we're precious, not just that we're we're not in control, but also that we're cared for. Jesus puts it, puts it this way in verse 27 and 28. He says this, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And Jesus says, Consider the lilies, or perhaps better, the wildflowers of the field. They don't toil, they don't work hard, struggling and straining. They don't spin, they don't spend time drawing out and twisting fibers of cotton or wool to turn them into yarn. But even Solomon, the wealthiest king in Israel's history, wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if that's how God cares for the grass of the field, which tomorrow will be used for fuel for ovens, won't he take care of you? One of the greatest reasons we can be radically generous with our possessions is the knowledge that God deeply cares for us. He's determined to provide for our every need in a way beyond any of his other creatures. And so when it comes time to evaluate your giving this year, when it's so easy to feel the fear rising, the questions coming, what about kids' tuition? What about holidays? What about mortgage? What about if I get sick? What about if I lose my job? This truth provides a wonderful source of courage. A wonderful source of courage. He has promised to care for me. You know, if you follow Jesus this morning and you're not tithing, I just wanted to pause and address you for a moment. You know, the tithe was a law in the Old Testament for God's people to give 10% of their income to the temple. It was an act of worship and an expression of trust in God. You know, as followers of Jesus, we're no longer under the law, but grace. However, tithe remains a useful starting place for considering faithful giving. Why? Well, simply put, I think 
that if this is what God asked of his impoverished people, the people who were largely subsistence farmers, it's a good place to start in wealthy Sydney. No, we are under grace, so we have freedom to give more. We can give 11% or 12% or 13% or 15% or 20%. Here's the question I want all of us to think about as it comes to giving this year with the going forward fund coming up and as we consider our finances. Here's a question I think we should consider. What are the fears holding you back? Here's how I want to encourage you. He's worthy of your trust. Notice he continues in verse 28. He says, Oh, you of little faith. You know, I think we most naturally read this as a rebuke from Jesus. Why do you have so little faith? And in a way it is. We should trust his care for us. But it's not merely a rebuke. It's actually primarily a call to a deeper level of faith. You know, we think of faith as something you have or you don't have. And for some people, that is true, especially those that are not yet following Christ. But for a Christian, faith is something that is living and active, something that God is constantly growing us in. You see, Jesus is effectively saying to his disciples, let me call you to a deeper, more profound, more immovable faith in me. You see, there are so many reasons why you don't need to fear being radically generous. You are precious. God is in control and you are not and you are cared for. And that is point number one, three reasons not to fear. But not just point number one, three reasons not to fear, but point number two, the path of fearless generosity. You know, in calling them to a deeper level of faith in himself, Jesus now moves to explain what the path of fearless generosity will look like for those who are following him. And he explains, first and foremost, that the path of fearless generosity will mean living differently from everyone else. Read with me verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. You know, what does Jesus mean here by saying that we're not to seek after food and drink? You know, we've seen above in his example of the raven that he doesn't mean we're to stop working to put food on the table. What Jesus means is probably best explained by the word that in our Bible is translated, nor be worried which actually means to be lifted up and was commonly applied to ships being lifted up in the seas and blown off course, being blown to and fro. Jesus is saying, don't get blown off course. Don't get thrown around chasing after earthly things like the nations, like everyone else. Jesus is saying, you don't need to orient your life around obtaining earthly things, clamoring for them, ensuring you have pole position to get ahead. He says, your father is fully aware of all your needs. Your father, God views you as a parent, as his child. He is your father. He will meet your needs. See, the truth is that so often we're anxious because our expectations for life are set not by God, but the example of those around us. We look at the standard of living of our neighbors or colleagues or friends, and we quite naturally assume we should be living at exactly the same standard. 
We hear about their holiday plans, extracurricular activities, renovations, investments, career decisions, and we think, even subconsciously, that seems sensible, that seems worth emulating. And especially living in a wealthy neighborhood such as ours, it's easy to see the luxuries that many enjoy as perfectly normal, more as essentials. And Jesus is saying to his disciples that there is a way of living that is the default of every nation in the world. And this way of living involves an anxious focus on obtaining the things of this world. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, they seek in the manner of those who look around them in every direction without looking at God, on whom alone their eye ought to be fixed. Jesus is saying to follow me on the path of fearless generosity, you have to live differently from your neighbors. Follow their example and you'll never feel you have enough to be truly generous. But follow my example and rest and find rest in the knowledge that your father knows exactly what you need. Here's a difficult question for us to consider this week, friends. With those closest to you, notice a difference in what you're living for. Well, point number one, the path of fearless generosity will mean living differently from everyone else. Not just that, Jesus wants to help us see that the path of fearless generosity will also mean seeking Christ and his glory above all. Jesus says this in verse 31. He says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Instead, seek his kingdom. You know, we need to unpack a couple of things in this sentence to understand what Jesus is saying here. Firstly, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom? Well, a kingdom is a place where a king rules and reigns. And God's kingdom is where God rules and reigns. In particular, where his king, our Lord Jesus, rules and reigns. And therefore, to seek his kingdom means to seek the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus in every place. It means to pray for his kingdom to come, to long for Christ to be honored on every person's lips. To seek his rule, his reign, his glory above all, firstly in our own lives. And then in the lives of our families, our church, our neighborhood, our workplace, our nation, our world. To instead seek his kingdom is to have a completely different outlook on life. Where the glory of Jesus becomes our primary objective and everything else becomes secondary. The choice of where we will live becomes focused on glorifying Christ. The question of should I get married becomes will this most glorify Christ? The question of should I take this job becomes will it most glorify Christ? Will it lead to loving and serving others and the church and my family? And it means the glory of Jesus becomes the primary focus of how we use our possessions. The question becomes, Lord, how best can I use what I have to make much of Jesus? To seek first your kingdom. And Jesus promises, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now, what are the, these things that will be added? Many people have used this to suggest that God intends to make you wealthy. But that's not what the passage says. Jesus has been talking about God's care in providing basic provisions to his creatures. And he is saying, if you pursue his kingdom, God will take care of all your earthly needs. Clement of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, puts it this way. Seek the great things and the lesser things will be added to you as well. 
Well, here's the question for us to consider this morning, church. Is his kingdom what you've been seeking first in life? You know, you won't be able to follow on the path of fearless generosity unless you can see that our primary calling is to seek Christ and his glory above all. But notice the Lord Jesus wants you to see a gift far greater than simply meeting your earthly needs. Read what he says in verse 32. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And notice the tender care and concern in the words of Jesus to his disciples. Don't fear. Notice the words he uses. Little flock. See, the disciples are precious to Jesus, not if they become many or powerful or significant, but while they are few and insignificant and in weakness. And here's the key. It says, for it is your father's good pleasure, or perhaps better, for your father was well pleased to give you the kingdom. God is their father in the truest sense. He loves them and cares for them. And so more than promising that they will be involved in the kingdom, he has given them the kingdom. Not under compulsion, not reluctantly, but joyfully, with pleasure. Well, God has given the kingdom. The obvious question is, how? Well, the answer is, he's given them the kingdom because he's given them the king. John 3.16 puts it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, part of our struggle to be fearless in our giving is that we struggle to see the lavish generosity of God himself towards us in Christ. Not only in the incredible gift of God the Father sending Jesus for us, but in the gift of Jesus' willing sacrifice of his life for us on the cross. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 puts it this way. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know, as Jesus sat with his disciples, teaching them not to be afraid, but to be generous, they didn't realize the amazing gift of the king and the kingdom that was with them. That he intended to lay down his life to purchase them, to adopt them, to be joined to them. Now, when you see the fearless generosity of our Lord Jesus towards us, it not only motivates us to worship him and seek his glory in all things, but to follow his example of generosity as well. And that's the second encouragement on the path of fearless generosity, that it means seeking the glory of Christ in all things. But thirdly and finally, as we close our time together, the path of fearless generosity will mean pursuing treasure that lasts. See, Jesus now ends with his concluding encouragement to his disciples on the topic of fearless giving. He says the following in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. His message is simple. Take what you have and use it to serve others in need. Now, when you have a deep conviction that you're precious to God, 
that God is in control of your life and he deeply cares for you, it releases you from clinging to your possessions. Giving to the poor here is not simply about getting involved in charity, but rather a fruit of allegiance to God and not to material possessions. It's a fruit of a love for the things God loves, which leads to a radical generosity towards others, not hoarding and clinging on to things in fear. You know, the truth is that although fearless generosity may look like great sacrifice, Jesus wants you to see that actually it's just sensible investment. The treasures of this world, they all wear out. They can all be stolen. They can all disappear. And they all will disappear when we die. But treasures obtained from seeking the glory of Jesus never fade. They will last forever. More, they have the added fruit of further increasing our love for him. Verse 34, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, friends, as we put more and more of our treasure into the kingdom of Jesus, our hearts will grow to be where he is, to long for his glory, his fame, and his coming. Well, in closing, as we approach the Going Forward Fund in 2022, what are the fears that are holding you back? My friends, I want to encourage you. Acknowledge them. Share them with others. And bring them to God. Let's follow Jesus on the path of fearless generosity. As I close, I stumbled across this story of radical generosity uh, this week from two people called Warren and Brenda Fole that I thought just really summarizes the things we've been talking about today. So let me share with you their story as we close. When we became confident that God was calling us, we sold everything, boxed up the rest that we were going to bring, and we went to Poland. And it was an adventure that we thought we'd be doing for the rest of our lives. But when we were in Poland, Brenda got really, really sick and wasn't getting any better. So we returned, and that was a very defeating time for us. I, Warren, felt like a failed missionary. I literally felt as if God had just grabbed me by the hair and just flung me and said, I hope you do well, and walked away. And we know that's not true, but that's exactly how we felt. We got our son David into school, and he started having vision troubles. So we took him to the doctor. We thought, oh, he just must need glasses. The glasses didn't work. Then the doctor said, I need to refer you to a specialist, to a retinal specialist, where he said, David has macular dystrophy. He was losing his vision, and he had really large print books that they would use for him. He was so proud when he could read. But it was very sad watching him bent over with his vision that ultimately filled his brain and took his life 13 years later. During our journey with David, we were introduced to an author named Randy Alcorn. His books were about eternity, and that really helped us to process David's death, knowing where he was going to be in heaven, and that heaven was such an incredible place. The following year, we were introduced to another book by Randy called The Treasure Principle, about storing up your treasure for eternity, and it totally transformed the way we viewed our giving. He talks about if you look at your life as a lion... And that line is eternity. So God has existed forever and he goes on forever and we happen to occupy one little dot on that line. And so often what we do is people will live for this dot. We live to try and gain as much as we can. We, If we don't get what we want on this dot, then we think our life is over. And so for us to realize that we're on this dot and David will leave this dot, but I'm going to leave this dot and you're going to leave this dot, that eternal perspective changed the way we live our life and view life. David's death freed us from the dot. Warren came home one day with this invitation from the church. He says, hey, you want to go to Branson, Missouri? And I think, 
why would we want to go there? And Warren says, I don't know, but it's a free vacation. So we said yes, and we show up, and we realize that we're sitting there around all these people who have a lot of money at a fundraiser, and we have nothing to give, but here we are. And we just sat there, and we're in awe of the speakers and what God was doing with this ministry. And we looked at each other, and we just thought, Lord, wouldn't that be the most amazing thing if one day in our life we could fund a Jesus film translation? My dad's company is a label manufacturer, and at one point he decided to give some small portion of his stock to his daughters. We really didn't even know what that meant, to be honest with you. We were pretty clueless and didn't have any idea. I mean, we didn't know how well his business was doing, but it just kept doing better and better. And so our ability to fund translations became more of a possibility. And every year, it just seemed to grow. For our first million-dollar commitment, we came up with this creative way of fulfilling that commitment by donating a home. And they have a whole ministry that makes translation possible. Jesus Film is our favorite organization to give to because of how committed they are to the Great Commission. They are so committed to reaching the world for Christ. They command from the command from Jesus to go and make disciples of all the nations. It's not just for missionaries. It's to every person who calls himself a follower of Christ. It's not about the dot. We can actually give going forward. We thought our missions was done, that we had failed. But the Jesus film has given us the, this ability to continue to be a part of this calling that we were so clear he wanted us to be a part of. We give Because we want every person to know who Jesus is. We can't imagine that there's anything more important that we can invest in for for the rest of our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for the beautiful example of our Lord Jesus. The beautiful example of you. And thank you, Lord, that you would come and you would pour out your life for us. And that you would do it joyfully. Lord God, this morning we want to confess as your people that so often we cling to things of this world. We hoard them. We, we grasp them tightly. And the reason is, so often, because we're afraid. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of the what-ifs. We're afraid of missing out in this life. Look, God, open our eyes to see you're worthy of our trust. Open our eyes to see we're precious to you. We're not in control, but you care for us. So we can trust you. Help us to see that this life is not just a dot. It's a line that goes on and on for all eternity. And we have an opportunity to do something with the things entrusted to us that will never fade, but will lead to your glory and fame throughout the ages. What a privilege, Lord. What a gift to have you as our king. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Brendan, for such a faithful message from the, from the passage. Well, church, we now get a chance to respond in song. So please be upstanding. We're going to sing and declare that Jesus is what we have. We have this eternal inheritance.
in Christ. He's the one that has died for us, one who's forgiven us, and therefore we are precious and we can live our lives with a fearless generosity. So let's just sing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ.